0: Hey, it's Padavikashyap. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome, everybody, to this new episode. And in today's episode, I have a very dear friend, Marie Alessa, who is joining me all the way from Sydney, Australia. So, a little bit about Marie before I hand it over to Marie. So, Marie is a mother of two boys, a best selling author. She's a legacy coach and a TEDx speaker. Her story after her husband passed away from a brain aneurysm, she actively created her way back to joy she instinctively knew that it was the only path worthy for their young boys her husband had taught her the concept of two choices and this was one made in his honor to make him proud Mary has made a shiny example of choosing love over fear and sadness in her movement loving life after loss Mary offers hope healing and happiness to the world When people expect it the least and need it the most welcome Mary to this episode I'm very happy that you are willing to share your own story and a story of grief and how we choose happiness over that it's it's a very different topic in fact uh, from the past topics that I've had uh, my guests speak here so it's it's a little different topic and at the same time I very uh, interested to know your story and how what you want to share and how to inspire my audience. So Marie, back to you. Welcome once again to my show.
1: Hi, Abby. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really honored to be here. And uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to share my story. I always uh, welcome every opportunity where we can share and talk about love and healing, where most of the world focuses on the pain and on the grief rather than the healing. So that's uh, basically why I'm here.
0: Yeah, uh, Mary, uh, my first question is, uh, you know, uh, there is an event, uh, like we also spoke a few minutes back, there is an event that changes our life, you know, that changes the trajectory of Mm. our life from what we were doing to, you know, life is not always how we want it to be. So uh, Mm. we all have had a life changing moment. uh, And and I think this loss of yours was one of them. So tell us a little bit about what happened and, uh, you know, the present state you are in now.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, our our adversity came very unexpected. Um, Rob, my husband, was 45. He was at the prime of his life. Very, very fit, healthy, surfer. You know, we spent a lot of time near the ocean. And uh, Rob went on a business trip and he never came back. So there was no pre-warning. There was nothing that could have indicated what was about to happen not even in hindsight, not even when I received the post-mortem report. I had, uh, yeah, an incline that day because I didn't hear from him and my anxiety was rising and then eventually I did receive a phone call from the sergeant in Perth where he was on a business trip. So he was five hours flights away and then we received the news that he had passed in a hotel room that morning. And that, as you can imagine, absolutely changed the trajectory of our lives. It was um, we had a very, very happy family life. And Rob and I sometimes had this opportunity to actually talk about these what-if scenarios because, you know, sometimes you come into a traffic jam on the way home, there was a fatal accident somewhere and the traffic is blocked up and nobody can get through and these situations um, triggered us to have this conversation, you know, to say what would happen to you if something was to happen to me, or vice versa. And I remember one conversation in particular where we, uh, where we laid in bed one night, just chit-chatting about the day, and uh, you know, Rob had come past a fatal accident that day, and it triggered us to have this conversation. And I remember saying to him, "I love you so much. I cannot imagine." That if something was to happen to me, that you would stay alone for the rest of your life. I would want you to take the boys and create the happiest life possible. I would want you to find somebody again. I would want you to live life to the fullest, really open your heart to life, to love, to anything beautiful that life has to offer. And he said the same to me, you know, and I think when you really put it down to it, that's what love is. Love is that simple. Love just wants you to be happy. Yet when something like that then actually happens, because until then it's theory that you talk about, but when it really happens in life, it changes everything and I didn't want our intention to change. I knew even though I couldn't flick the switch like that when I received the news, I made the decision that night, laying in bed with both our boys in my arms and crying, I knew that's what I had to do. I knew that my focus had to be joy. And happiness, I wanted to create a happy life for them, and yeah, just to to leave that legacy for him, you know to create that legacy for Rob and to make the decision in his honor, because I knew that's exactly what I would have expected from him if it was me
0: mm-hmm. yeah, it takes a very strong heart, a very determined heart at the same time, mm-hmm. a very matured heart like yours to you know even come Thank to you. a decision because, yeah, I know. Uh, Because, uh, you know, sometimes what happens is uh, I've I've met, I've read stories where, uh, you know, grief is a period. Grief is to be felt, um, you know, a a very different kind of an emotion, a very deep emotion where we need to Mm. feel it. uh, Respect that emotion and let it be with us for for some, for uh, let's say a period of time. And after that, we have to let it go, uh, which is the best way. Uh, but i also know people who hold on to their emotions uh, for for many 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 years and and since i am in the profession of healing uh, you know i've i've known and i've read and i've heard many a times when people hold on to these emotions rather than letting go uh, you know it eventually uh, you know makes an impact in their in their uh, physical bodies through some kind of an ailment or you know through some uh, body issues later on mm-hmm. when you know when they're holding it forever in in their uh, life so mm-hmm. uh, for for your case you said uh, you know you uh, let it sink in you uh, had that emotion for a period but at the same time you also knew that you know uh, what next what do i d- need to do next for the boys for rob's happiness uh, for mm-hmm. you to continue life uh, through through this yeah um, you also mentioned uh, working on rob's legacy and you also mentioned Mm -hmm. in your bio that you are a legacy coach Uh, so i wanted to understand uh, you know i've heard this legacy coach a bit so i wanted to understand exactly what uh, a legacy coach is and also for my audience who's listening maybe Mm -hmm. i'm asking this on their behalf as well
1: yeah i'm glad that you asked because you know so so many times people ask me what is it that you actually do And it took me a while to actually put into words what it is that I do because I didn't think about what I did. I just acted based on instinct. Like everything that I have created, every healing journey, every program, every retreat was based on my background in mindset coaching combined with my experience that I personally had. You know, first um, my dad passed when I was 20 and then my husband died when I was 45 when we were 45 we were at a, roughly the same age and that these were two very very different experiences yet in both cases it was important to me to leave a love legacy for these people that I loved so dearly and that loved me so dearly I wanted to create something that would make them proud. I wanted to work on the legacy that they are leaving behind. I wanted to help that. I wanted to create that. And the love legacy that I have created for Rob is the movement that is now called Loving Life After Loss. And that's why I decided, because people in our society always want a title. They want labels. They want titles. And that that is not... um, coming from a negative point it is just that this is how we work as a society we need labels we need names we need things and that's why we create so many things in the space of grief uh because we are searching for something that we cannot name and in the same token you know when i thought about how do i actually explain what i do i thought that's exactly what i create i help people that have experienced grief to turn that into a legacy because as you said it's not about holding on to the pain. I don't want to hold, I don't want anybody to hold on to an emotion that is hurtful. It doesn't matter what emotion that is, whether that is grief or sadness or disappointment or uh, fear, anything that is a negative emotion. Yeah. I don't want people to have to hold on to that. But what I want people to understand is that they can coexist. So Contrary to what most people believe, you you are going through this period and then you move forward. It's not like it works. You know, grief is not linear. There is no time frame to it. There is. um, I made the decision to focus on happiness very early in our journey. In the first couple of moments, actually, of Rob's passing, I knew that's where I had to turn. But could I live it instantly? No, of course not. But there had to be a decision to actually choose something that you want rather than what you don't want did that mean that I wasn't sad anymore no of course not but I did create something where both could coexist where I had waves of grief coming in and where I had my tears coming out and I laughed and I smiled and I sang and I chose happiness it's not a but or if or either or it's an and and that is what i find so important what society doesn't teach us society wants linear processes they want step by step first you do that and then you do that first you grieve then you move on it doesn't work like that and there's also another myth i want to bust while we're there while we're on that topic grief will stay with you forever that's only true if you choose that to be true i certainly did not choose that and i know that that grief is not staying with me forever because it's not here anymore. I have worked through my grief. Um, and yes, I still have moments where sadness comes and visits and I sit with it and I allow it in and I still choose happiness. That doesn't mean that I will be grieving forever, but Rob will be in my life forever. You know, he'll have his legacy in my life forever. I see him through my boys. I see him in so many things that we have created in our home in our lives you know there's there's always that and experience that i want people to understand and it's not an either or or but or first then than that yeah I hope that makes sense
0: i love the way you explained uh, with the and it's not if or but or yeah uh, it's, it's 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 very beautifully explained because i've never to be very honest i've never uh, heard of this uh, this kind of a definition or this kind of an explanation yeah. and which is why i love speaking to guests like you you know who bring in a varied uh perspective and and uh, make us understand and the, at the same time uh i also uh, during the initial times i also mentioned that uh, when you're holding on to grief uh, and you're not releasing it it's when mm-hmm. it kind of harms your body because it doesn't yeah. find any outlet i agree so uh, yeah. like your process was you uh you experience it but then also find reasons to be happy around you know mm-hmm. so it was very yeah. beautifully done yeah uh, yeah thank you yeah so i wanted to ask you like um see it's uh, you know and it also depends from person to person like i also said you mm. seem to be a very strong person you know so it also depends from you person got me to there yeah <laughs> because the way you explain it and you're very calm and composed so it gives me uh, it, it you know adds up to that so i was just thinking it depends from person to person so uh maybe for you it was like that so for your clients who come into you mm-hmm. how do you work with them for somebody who's who's on the extreme side of yeah. you know
1: the yeah, attachment
0: yeah, yeah. kinds Mm -hmm. Uh, so how do you work I
1: love I love that you asked me that Pallavi it's a very valid and very important question so thank you for that I feel that as a society we are very quick with solutions and I put that under quotation marks because very often there are not really solutions they are as I said, labels, you know, uh, people. And this is another myth I want to bust right here before I get to answer your question. Uh, The seven stages of grief or the five stages of grief, or however many, everybody's got different uh, numbers for that now because they extended it. And the five stages of grief were originally uh, talked about by Dr Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who's quite a well-known author in the field of grief. Yet her intention was never for those stages to be for grief. They were for terminally ill people. Yet people still refer to them as stages of grief, although they are not. When you think about it, you know, the the anger, the bargaining, um, the denial, they are all stages for terminally ill people, not for people who are in grief. So rather than trying to give something labels where there are none or trying to give something names for the lack of having any idea what to actually say or do in that space, I think as a society we really need to learn to listen. And this is the the very first step that I do because for me that is, I call it picking people up from where they're at because as you said, you know, everyone's journey of grief is just as unique as the person actually experiencing it. So for me it is important that I know where I pick my clients up from. So for example, the retreat is a perfect example because the retreat, I hold the retreat with a very limited number of people. So I can really hold space for the people that are there. And yes, I do have an itinerary. I have, you know, a sort of um, structure because people want structure, people need structure and I need structure to hold space for people. So I know where I get them through. And in those three and a half days, people really go through a 180 degree transformation But can I take them through that? And can I create that transformation for them if I don't know where I pick them up from? No. And are these tools important that I teach them? Yes, absolutely. Yet, if I don't know where you're coming from, I don't know what tool tool to reach you. You know, if you're standing there and you're like, it's such a perfect example, you're standing and you want to hang a picture. If I don't know that you want to hang a picture, I don't know that I have to hand you a hammer and a hook. You know, I don't know what you're trying to do. So I need to know what you're trying to do or where you're coming from, what you're doing at that very stage so I know to hand you the right tools. And yes, there are tools that I feel work for everyone. And and one element that is literally in everything I do is shifting your perspective. Mm -hmm. Yet I cannot teach you that tool when I don't know what you're actually looking at. I always need to start with, listening to my client's story so i know what i'm actually dealing with what are the parameters of the story you know where are they at how are they feeling if i don't know any of that i can't teach them anything i can't show them a path to healing i can give them ideas but it is always important to pick people up from where they're at so listening is always the first step because when i know where they are and what they're looking at I can then help them shift their perspective and step into empowerment and healing. And empowerment is a word that is hardly used in grief, yet it is one of the most important steps to get to. Yeah.
0: And it is also uh, like the willingness and how much the participant or your client is willing to take the effort to come out of that situation. Uh, because oh, yes, 100%. I know, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. at times there are clients who would be like, okay, uh, I want to. Uh, the 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 mentor to solve out solve all my issues and I, that's that, mm-hmm. that never happens until unless you are committing yourself you know yeah and that absolutely. commitment goes more than you know the the mentor uh you, you mentioned yeah sorry so you mm-hmm. mentioned about therapies are there any special therapies or or uh, if you would want to mention any uh, special therapy that you uh, do uh, or work with your clients on For example, uh, you know, like a meditation could be a therapy or sound healing could be a therapy that way. So
1: there are, um, as I said, you know, there are different tools that I use. One of them, shifting my perspective, I really, really like that. I also have uh, various meditations that I have created for people. I like taking people on visualization uh, journeys with me where they can really work on that a very, very big element in the space of healing grief, because I always say, you know, healing is a choice. That's what you just said before, you know, you you cannot come to a mentor and say, fix me. It's not possible. You can't go to a therapist or coach or anybody and say, fix me. You need to want that. You need to want that healing. And this is why I love it so much that our movement is called Loving Life After Loss, because it also works as a filter. People who are not somewhere in their heart wanting that part, that loving life after loss, don't even apply to join a group like that, if that makes sense. So that that works as a name of the group and as a filter as well and also to give them a bit of a heads up what's coming. Um, Yet one element that I've found super important in the space of healing when you do choose that you want to heal is I, I have created this process and I called it the re-identification process, you know, because identifying who you actually are is such an important part in this whole journey because it's literally like you're recreating yourself, you know, it's like the phoenix out of the ashes. It's like there are so many beautiful analogies that you could use here. Yet fact is, this is part of the, um, part of the re-identification but also part of the shifting your perspective. Once you can look At an adversity as a blank canvas this to me is where the healing starts because every adversity also represents a blank canvas a complete fresh start and it is up to you to choose whether you want to paint it or not what colors you want to use or not whether you are going to reuse the same colors that you used in your life before or whether you're going to add new ones or add completely different ones There are endless opportunities and choices in every adversity and it's not as easy as many people go like, oh, you know, stop staring at the closed door because then you miss all the open doors in front of you. Yes, it might be that simple from the outside perspective, but it's not as simple for you when you're actually going through the emotional hurdle, the emotional turmoil where you really feel like you're reeling. You don't even know where to start. So for me there are different steps involved to actually get people to the stage where they can even see opportunity in their adversity because when you tell people that too early too soon it might feel like a slap in the face for people who've only just experienced that adversity so i think there is it, it's really a very fine-tuned process of feeling when you actually say what to people and I think society is lacking that a lot and they revert back to their very old-fashioned, very well-rehearsed my condolences or I'm so sorry for your loss. And I'm not saying that there isn't a good intention behind that. And in, in particular that I'm so sorry for your loss, it's a very ambivalent situation with this phrase because I know people mean well, but when you are standing in a condolences line and you hear that hundreds of times, one after the other, It loses its meaning. It loses its positive intention after the third or fourth, and then you still have to listen to it for 100, 200, 300 times more. It becomes torture. I'm sorry to say that so bluntly and so openly, but it becomes torture rather than a good intention. So I believe sometimes it's even easier when you are the person in the condolences line, waiting your turn to say something, to actually say what you really feel inside, which might be i have no words or i'm completely lost for words what to say or may i just offer you a hug things like that you know like really trust your intuition listen to your heart rather than converting back to something that 400 people in front of you in the line might have already said you know that's just a little side note
0: interesting and um We uh, grow as a person through these incidents through these kind of life events that we come across. So, if we uh, choose for, to, yes. <laughs> so, uh, how have you changed as a person compared to uh, you know when Rob was with you earlier versus you now? Uh, you know, just uh, yeah, yeah. Mm.
1: Strength is the first word, first word that comes to mind. I really have. I always knew that I was a fairly strong woman. Yet, the strength that I feel now, and the determination and the direction that I have now, is really I think compared to what I, where I was before. You know, before I had um, my coaching business, where I focused on um, mindset, and I work with a lot of business owners to help them with their personal growth to then achieve business growth which was very much based on mindset and and money story and all the beliefs that people have that hold them back yet when you combine it with an experience that we had you know where our boys were only 10 and 8 when Rob passed and and again this is not a competition because I'm certain there are people listening that might have had younger kids or their husband was younger yet what I'm coming to is the choices that you make in this adversity is what really makes you or breaks you afterwards. And we do have the choice. I have spoken to so many moms, I'm going to use one very generic example here where so many people might be able to relate, that come up with phrases like, well, I had to, I had no other choice. I had to do it for my kids. I had to move on. I had to move forward. And I always look at them and say, no, you didn't, you chose to. And it is such a tiny little shift, yet it is so important. You're not talking about shifting your perspective. We we have um, a lot of issues uh, with mental health. We have uh, people that choose suicide because they don't know how to move forward. We have people that just stay stuck in their grief, in their pain. And these are all very real issues that we are dealing with. And when you look at our mental health history, and I don't even want to bind it down to one country, it is worldwide when you look at mental health issues and the capacity how we as a society are dealing with it and what we have to offer. Um, A very beautiful person, Jeff Johnson, we connected on LinkedIn, is travelling around the States at the moment with his huge RV with his son's, talking about uh, mental health issues so there is a lot that we need to do to raise awareness and to offer healing that is the point you know and when you look at that and then you come back and look at your own life i always challenge the moms to tell me the same thing again well i had to do for my kids no you didn't have to there are people who go down a different route there are people who do go down the really dark path of mental health of um Well, I should actually call it mental unhealthy at that stage, you know, of depression, of suicide, of whatever there is in terms of drug addiction, alcohol addiction. There are so many other venues, um, avenues, I should say. And not that I want to name them to give them as options. However, there are people who choose those options, unfortunately. So every time when somebody says, Well, I had to for my kids, I had no other choice, I challenge them to think again and really honor the choice that they have made they have made a choice to get out of it they have made a choice to get up for their kids and to move forward and that we often don't see when we are stuck in the pain but when somebody from the outside comes and goes like hey just honor the choice that you have made you made that choice you're amazing you've done that even if you don't feel amazing right now but you have made an amazing choice that's when they start to shift. That's when they start to realise, oh, wow, yeah, I'm actually maybe a bit more um, powerful than I gave myself credit for. And we need to own that. We need to own that and honour that and own the whole decision-making process. Often people say, "I, I didn't choose this life. Well, on a spiritual level, I think we do, but that's a very different conversation. But even if you see that from a human point of view and say, I haven't chosen this, you can still choose how you respond to it and healing is a choice and happiness is a choice so i'm here to help people choose that if that makes sense
0: yeah i loved your bit on perspective and how we choose and yeah it it starts from uh choosing the right thoughts or you know talking Mm. the right things just the Mm. right choice of words because a small you know I'm doing it because I have to do versus I choose to do it because you know it—it it so much makes a difference. So very yeah. well said. Yeah, the choice okay. is ours, and how we you know work on it is ours. Uh, you very briefly mentioned the spiritual side of it, and I'm very mm-hmm. interested in the spiritual
1: part. Of course, so, you would be. <laughs>
0: <yeah>. <laughs> so I wanted to also understand uh, you know the mm. spiritual understanding or what your understanding has been of this yeah. event. You know that you had to go through. So yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, thank you for asking, because this is something, as I said, I understand that everyone's beliefs are different and religious backgrounds are different, uh, spiritual backgrounds are different. I was very lucky that Rob and I had uh, a lot of conversations about our spiritual background, and we also challenged each other in our faith and um, learned a lot and moved a lot together through all these questions and talking about things openly. And uh, one thing that became quite clear to me over the course of probably the first few months of working through the adversity was I had this epiphany of this is all part of our story. This was our sole contract. You know, we have chosen that. We have made this sole contract before we got here that we have chosen to do this and that Rob's passing, as incredible as this sounds, was also an act of love from him Mm. to prepare that path that I then chose to walk with my boys, with our boys, I should say. Mm. And uh, that is as much in a nutshell as I can answer that question. I very much believe in soul contracts and I very much believe in there is a huge... Huge purpose behind all of that. And um, that really put me at ease. And I really love that I can see that now. And it, it feels very beautiful. And I'm very grateful for the many gifts that I have received through his adversity. Mm. Uh,
0: I think uh, how I understand it is uh, you had, I think what you're doing is your purpose. And uh, rob had to come and and give you that much partnership Uh, and like you mentioned Mm -hmm. about the soul contract yeah Mm. Um, it was uh, we already i mean when we were in the soul form we already knew what we were meant to do in this lifetime but it's just once we come here we forget yeah you know Yeah, and your Mm. contract or in this lifetime contract was that much. And yeah, like I said, we have forgotten. And I think he Mm. prepared you for you to continue this journey further. And I also, Mm. uh, when I was listening to your story, you've always had conversations with uh, your husband, uh, Rob. And you've always had these kind of conversations like what after or what if Mm. you know, you. So it's like, Uh, He kind of prepared you a bit, you know, if not 100%, but at least 25%, uh, because through your conversations, through your questions and answers, you know, Mm. your uh, discussions, it just gives me a feeling that, you know, I I mean, we all do also this kind of conversations, but we never know. But your conversation, since it's it's your real life, your story. Mm. So it, um, you know, it kind of prepared you and, you know, when he's not there, I will, what if he's not there? Mm-hmm. I can still do well, this.
1: Pallavi, I think, I think it's also like, I strongly believe that now and, and I understand that very differently now because when my dad passed and I was 20, I, I told you before, I was not very well equipped um, in terms of dealing with the loss. And uh, looking back now, I know for a fact that one of my biggest gifts in losing my dad at such a young age was that I lived a life with no regrets afterwards. I said everything I had to say to everyone who wanted or didn't want to hear it. You know, I run around, like when you ask my boys, they are so used to it now, but when like walking with me on the street means like you'll be part of many conversation with strangers. I just tell people when I feel something, I have an intuition or I see something that I really like, I stop and tell that person. Sometimes I even walk back because I'm like, why did you not tell him or her? I'm like, hold on. I'm going to go back and tell this person. you know. And I'll just say something to people that, that really feels important to me. I have left love notes for couples. They were just oozing love and I had to tell them how beautiful that is and how important that is to capture these moments. And I left little love letters for them when I left the restaurant and, and you know, left them on that table when I walked out. I've done I've done lots of things like that. But in terms of my relationship with Rob, the most beautiful part was that I never left anything unsaid or unthought in terms of if something came up, I wanted to talk to Rob about it. In, in the 12 years that we were married, 13 years that we had together, it was not one day where I didn't tell him how much I loved him. Not out of fear that I could lose that yeah. one day at all, but because out of oh, my God, I would burst if I can't say it to you, you know, it means so much to me. And I was lucky enough that he was the same. So I think that was a gift in my dad's passing that I decided I won't ever let that happen, you know. When the day comes that I need to part with people, I want them to know what they mean to me. What, um, and Rob certainly knew I had no regrets. I, I, there's always the, oh, I wish I had more years, no questions asked, but I had no regrets of the, the relationship that we had here and uh, I am 100%, 100% certain that he knows what I felt for him. There's no doubt in my mind, you know, so that's the beautiful part of it all.
0: Yeah, it's very beautiful. Uh, you know what I'm grasping from your story is also that, uh, uh, you know, live in the moment. Uh, you find something mm. beautiful. Uh, compliment don't or you know don't wait for that person to compliment or don't wait for yeah. that person to you know so it's it's like yeah. living in the moment and and with no regrets uh, mm. so this thought came to my mind uh, there are people with a lot of grudges uh so mm. with your father's incident uh, it also uh, tells me i mean it's also ge- telling me also that you know if you have any grudges then sort out because we don't know what the next yeah. moment is yeah so Ooh. what do you yeah so it's 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 really eye-opening for me eye-opener for me so uh, what are your take on what's your view on grudges many people have grudges they don't talk <laughs> uh, you know there's so much oh god i love this
1: question i love it so much yeah, I, I'm happy to answer that. I'm going to tell you a very quick and short story about this um, as a as a preview, basically, to what I have to share here, because after my dad passed, I'm going to go back to that story first. I had about a year of running around like a preacher's daughter. Seriously, I was telling everyone who was teaching about their parents and my mom this and my mom that, I I was running around and telling everyone, you have to make peace, you have to make peace because you never know how long you've got them. And I was in this full, you know, I've just lost my dad and how dare you speak about your mom or your dad like that, you have to make peace with them. And then all of a sudden it hit me. I was like, oh my God, you are the biggest hypocrite, Marie. It was such a shock when I realised because all I did was telling people, had they were doing things wrong, and had they had to make peace, and had they had to think about how they speak about their parents and all of that, and in my mind the entire time, all I could think about was my dad and all the things that I couldn't say to him and didn't say to him and would love to still do with him, and then all of a sudden I had to turn around and face my own message and swallow my own medicine, and I realized, ooh, I have not ever mended the relationship with my mom that was huge. That was such a huge learning curve for me and a slap in the face at the same time, because, you know, for a whole year, I'm running around preaching to everyone. And then I realized I've been preaching, but I haven't applied it to myself. And it took me a very long time. We're we're talking like almost 30 years. 30 years before i healed the relationship with my mom and i finally have so there is a happy ending to that i love my mom and like we really i always did but i really had a very complicated relationship with her after my dad passed so it took a lot of layers to work through for us and for me in particular and luckily we both have so that's that's a quick quick pre-story that i wanted to tell um and now I forgot what I wanted to share thereafter. I'm being absolutely honest here. I've got no idea where I wanted to take <laughs> this, a but it was grudges. so important for me. Yeah. Oh, yes, grudges. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad that you keep me on on the <laughs> track here. Um, so in terms of grudges, that, that was my, my beautiful story to it anyway already, to rethink about um, what is your part in healing? What is your responsibility and what you do? And I often say to people, I want you to think about it uh, the same book, the crutches or guilt, you know, these are such common um, emotions that we struggle with that are hurdles for us in the space of grief. So I often take a comparison of a tug of war, you know, two people holding onto a rope and with the crutches, with the, with the guilt um, and nobody's letting go. And when you hold onto a rope and you play tug of war, your hands get really sore after a while. They they become they can become like really open wounds, you know, red and sore and open. And it's pretty painful. So here's the thing. When you think about the person who passed and you're holding onto something and this person passes over to the other side, there's this beautiful, beautiful book by Anita Moriani, Dying to Be Me. I don't know if you read it. Part of it. And there's this moment in the book where she describes what it is like on the other side because she had a near-death experience and she wanted to stay there and her dad, who had passed 10 years prior, tells her it's not your time. And she's like, but it's peaceful here. It's I'm not in pain anymore. Her, whole can- her body was cancer-ridden and she was, you know, dying. And she wanted to stay there because there was nothing but love and peace and everything was just... He said, I, I have no words to describe what I saw and felt on the other side. And that to me, when you think about it as in terms of the tug of war that you're playing down here on earth, <laughs> as soon as people pass over, they're not holding on anymore to that rope. They're not holding on. You're the only one pulling. There's nothing you can do. You can hold on to that rope forever. You're just going to get sore hands from pulling, but there's no counter, counter pull on the other side anymore, if that makes sense. As soon as they pass over, there's nothing but love and peace they they let go the moment they pass Mm. holding on to something holding on to crutches is none of a soul's business you know a soul is there to to be in at peace to be in love a soul is nothing else but that when we have the human experience that's when we start attaching things that's when we have um you know conditions with things like unconditional love per se doesn't exist here as much as we wanted it, it doesn't exist here it exists on the other side mm. so holding on to brutches and guilt and anything there likes that same you know mm. uh shade of emotion i would call it it's like pulling on a tug of war where the other side has already gone home mm. literally mm.
0: uh your uh, uh- This conversation just reminds me about how important it is for us to live our life also, you know, we should have a lifestyle which will, uh, like you talked about, non-attachment and uh, Mm -hmm. we are holding on to not just relationships but material mm. things uh, your iphone mm. is stolen you get so you know mm-hmm. you know you go through so it's not just <laughs> <laughs> so it is so much of attachments and yeah, yeah. i also read an article by an, i harvard uh, uh recently by harvard uh, and it mentions that you know before uh, i mean i think when we are uh, when we die uh, those last 13 seconds i think you get a flash of all your entire mm-hmm. Life's incidents, and they're like relayed to you, and that's when people regret about you know what I could have done better, or yeah. uh, you know, and and versus uh, yeah. and uh, spiritually, it is said that you know whatever you do in this lifetime good bad everything is calculated during you know when mm-hmm. you're passing over and, and yeah. <laughs> that is becoming the basis for your next incarnation
1: so we're collecting soul points here
0: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah for us it's uh yeah that connects me to uh, you know so you choose whether you want to be yeah. uh, living a beautiful life or you yeah. want to be a nasty human being and doing all, mm. you know, you know, just troubling others. So it's, yeah. again, everything is boils down to our choices, mm-hmm. uh, beautiful points. Um, uh, this point I wanted to also un- uh, ask was about, uh, so what do you think, uh, like you did mention uh, initially that there are so many things that needs to change uh, as from a society's point mm. of view, like how we agree. Yeah or mm. how you know even let's say a mental condition is is treated or or mm. given the importance so what do you think yeah. uh, necessarily needs to change uh, you know it all starts with the way we think and all of it but from yeah. your point of view what are the things that needs to change uh, let's say just five things that needs to change
1: Ooh. Only five? Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. You well, well, no. I'm, I'm going to start with the really, really basic ones. I, I believe what needs to change, number one thing, I've already mentioned that before, is really listening to people because if we don't really listen to people, we don't know where we pick them up from. We need to know where we pick people up from so we know how we can actually help them, you know, and that is um, so often we listen to people with the intention to answer to respond Mm. rather than understand Mm. and that needs to change because often we uh you know i can listen to somebody's story and already have all okay i'm going to give her that tool that tool that tool that tool i don't need that because i know my tools anyway i know what i can offer them so i don't have to think about oh i'll give her that i'll give her that or i book it for the retreat or i do this i need to know where people are at i want to know what is actually going through their mind and very often by listening to people you hear between the lines or sometimes even very bluntly and obvious what the hurdles are that they are putting in their own way Mm
0: -hmm.
1: what they're holding on to why and how they are not allowing healing in so there is this stigma that we have created as a society around grief and i'm talking about for example being a widow the the word widow already comes with such a label because when you look at the root of the word the meaning of the word actually mean i can't remember the exact translation now but i I actually looked it up for the tedx talk i did i did a tedx talk on redefining our image of a widow and I start off with the translation what it actually means where the uh, sorry not the translation but the origin of the word from the word with you, which means something like cut off but a root and it means something about being alone and and your life's basically over very very loosely translated but you can look it up the the meaning of the word widow. it's really interesting when you look that up and for me, I understand coming back to that, what we shared before, you know, I understand that we as a society, we need names to name something. We need names for communication. We need labels to understand. Yet when we, when we allow ourselves to get away from these labels, I mean, when you look at me, I don't see a typical widow like society would expect it to um, at my age that I'm falling apart. My life is over. I can't ever talk to a male person in my life again. I don't believe in any of that because life is for the living life is, you know, your choice. And I want a happy life. I want love. I want happy. I want all of that. And I know it's possible. So the listening part and the stepping away from labels is a really, really big starting point. But then also um, I'm going back to Jeff Johnson, who I mentioned before, who's doing the whole mental health awareness. He said something really beautiful. When I interviewed him for my podcast, he said, Addiction is the opposite of connection. And I thought, wow, this is so simple and so brilliant. And it really is true. That's where it all starts. You know, addiction has usually got a starting point in somewhere loss of connection connection to your friends, connection to the outside world, connection Mm -hmm. to the people who truly mean well for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is something we need to rebuild. In a society, we are so connected through Facebook, social media and all that, but the true connections fall away. It is a connection with who we want to be or be seen as or be portrayed as the, you know, the successful coach running the global movement. I'm, I'm literally putting it out there like in that really, um, yeah, it's beautiful to be that and to hold space and to have that movement for people. Yet I do have a, a, a different side to me as well. I do have a, uh, you know, falling apart and crying. And even though that doesn't happen anymore these days as much, I still have my moments. And I'm not saying that to say, oh, see, I'm, I'm grieving anyway. That's not why I'm saying this. But we all have different paths to ourselves. We don't just have the happy and successful and perfect part on the outside we all have different moments. We all wake up with a bad hair day one day or makeup down here or whatever, you know, just putting it out there. And that's probably not what we want to have as a selfie, as our Facebook profile or LinkedIn profile, you know. There are certain ways how we portray ourselves and how we would like to be seen. But where we need to be seen the most is in our rawness. And I'm not even saying weakness, in our rawness, in what we really where we really um, feel the most and want to be seen and want to be held because it's easy to hug someone when we're all happy. Mm. It's not as easy to hold space for someone when they're actually really raw and really need that. So um, Facebook is an incredible platform, don't get me wrong. You know, I do personally have a bit of a love-hate relationship with it (laughs) because of the way we use it, you know. But we do, again, have a choice of how we use it true. and just have a think about how you use Facebook or LinkedIn or any other social platform on a daily basis. Do you use it for something positive to really connect or just to sell or just to portray how awesome your life is when it's actually not always, you know? So just a bit of a reality check for all of us would be really healthy.
0: Mm beautiful uh, i wanted to also check with you on this uh, like when you are mentoring someone uh, you are mm-hmm. coaching someone uh, you are a leader in that space and you are showing a path to your uh, to your clients so in mm-hmm. uh, when clients come to you for you it is i think it's twofold first you have to bring them out of that situation and uh, like from every pain there's a purpose like for you you got a well defined a structured or something to focus mm-hmm. on So, for your clients, also your customers, you first have to first bring them out of that state and then uh, try to, you know, help them look at life, uh, you know, as a gift, you know, from Mm. from where they are then. So, how do Mm. you, for you, it's like, I feel it is uh, like uh, two things that you have to work on, you know, I I hope I got my, uh, you understood my question so how is it that you uh, you know bring out that gift or that purpose in the in the life mm-hmm. of your customers your clients uh, you know how mm-hmm. do you help them focus with that
1: mm. i don't bring them out of it at all i um, i see it as i open a door and i see if they want to come out because it's i i really feel that i don't want to force them to come out of something they're not ready to true so i I really see it as uh, I work a lot on allowing. I think allowing is such a powerful, yet such a gentle process. You know, it's um, allowing people to heal and to show them the opportunity that they can allow healing in. I think that's my main responsibility here. I'm not here to bring anybody out of anything. They're not ready to leave. So
0: Hmm.
1: often... Often the pain is also something that, uh, you know, in the coaching world we refer that to something like that as a secondary gain. When people don't leave the world of pain, I need to ask them, and I don't ask that directly, but I'm saying it directly here now, mm. um, we need to ask them what is the benefit for you to stay in that pain. And sometimes it's as simple as that's what I know, that's all I know. And I'd rather stay in something that I know than having the fear of the unknown. What would happen if I let go of that? Mm. And it's sometimes so simple that when you let go, then you'd get rid of the pain. But it's not that easy for people who are holding on to the pain. So I think the most important part is to to always understand why are people holding on to their pain? And unfortunately, here's another thing that society has taught us that I also don't believe in, that the more we grieve, the more we portray our pain, the more we have loved that person. And this, is, this couldn't be further from the truth. There was so much love in my heart for Rob, yet I would not hold on to the pain and see that as that's my most beautiful part, to show how much I love dropped. I I can't believe how much people actually believe that, how much society has taught us that as a truth, which it's not, you know, it really is not. We need to relearn that. Mm. There are more beautiful ways to honour our loved ones. There are more amazing and and really loving ways to honour our loved ones and to portray the love that we had for that person rather than deciding I'm going to hold on to that forever so people realise how much I still learn. Um, That is almost ridiculous to think about it in that way and I say that with a whole lot of respect for the person actually feeling that right now. I'm not saying they are ridiculous. I'm saying it is ridiculous that society has taught us that as the only option. It's actually quite sad because when you look at other cultures like Japanese or even Mexicans, you know, the day of the death where they're celebrating the life of the loved ones is so beautiful, you know, the colours and the celebration and the love and the joy that comes out in people and that is to honour them. Isn't that a much more beautiful way to honour our loved ones rather than holding on to the pain and falling apart for the rest of your lives? Yes. Yeah
0: which is very beautifully explained, even uh, in in the uh, city where I live uh, in India, Mm -hmm. uh, the way the departed soul is, uh, they're celebrated, like how you said, Mm -hmm. uh, versus uh, where I'm originally from, uh, you know, during a a ceremony like that, there is, everybody Mm -hmm. is crying and, 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 you know, it's like Mm -hmm. the environment is very different versus here they're celebrating mm. so for me also mm-hmm. it was very different like why would they celebrate but i understand now you know that's the yeah. most beautiful way to let them go and also when mm-hmm. we uh you know during the mm, I, I just wanted to add this bit so during those mm-hmm. uh first 13 days i think you know the the soul when it's trying to leave the body it is uh, it's very mm-hmm. the attachment is very strong so we if the, the the more we are showing our attachment our emotions the more difficult it is for the soul to leave you know so mm-hmm. there are so many things that i think uh, these uh, celebrations that are done is because it is not understood by us but there mm-hmm. is a science behind it or there is there are bigger reasons why you know celebrations happen when somebody leaves Uh, compared Mm -hmm. to mourning and crying which is also important which is also to be respected but yeah Mm -hmm. different perspectives and and it just opens our you know understanding about the subject yeah Yeah. so I think uh, you've provided really very important uh, you know stuff at least to me personally you know about not Mm -hmm. holding on to grudges I think forgiveness also comes as a part of this uh, you know yeah the more uh, because many a times grudges is also because of you're not holding or forgiving trying to uh, uh, forgiving someone so yeah a lot of things and living uh, you know beautifully uh, you know in the present moment and uh, giving your all to whoever is concerned giving your love to whoever is is around Mm. you because if not now then when because The next moment is not guaranteed, you know, so very beautifully explained uh, Marie and uh, I think Mm -hmm. I've asked most of my questions and if there's anything you would want to add from your point uh, or are we good?
1: I'm I'm good. I think you've asked amazing questions. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely enjoyed our conversation, Balavi. Thank you so much. Yeah,
0: thank you. And uh, for my viewers who would want to connect to you, how can they reach you? Where are you most active uh, on the various platforms?
1: Yeah, I'm definitely most active on facebook and linkedin actually however i believe the easiest way to connect with me would be my website it's com. so it's my first name last name.com and you find all the links to every platform to mm-hmm. my movement to you know to linkedin to the facebook group to the books the tedx talk everything i've ever done and also our interview will be on this website so yeah you can really find everything and also just book a chat with me on there if you want to just reach out in person and
0: perfect yeah you also have a podcast that you mentioned if uh you know and it's very much focused on uh, on the subject you're working on so if anybody wants to do do tell us something about your podcast as well
1: yeah so the loving love after loss podcast is actually uh in two parts so one of the Um, one of the the one part is the upspiral grief interviews so I have guests on my show who've got a positive spin on grief they share their personal story on how they uh, work with adversity and put it into something very meaningful and purposeful and the other part is my meaningful mindset series I do that every Monday morning I share a topic and it's only like 10-15 minutes but it's always mindset based and it's always small tools or topics that people deal with on an ongoing basis when it comes to adversity. You know, the, the latest one I did was what to do with your loved one's belongings. You know, people often don't know what, how to address that, what to deal with it, and, and how to deal with it from a mindset point of view as well, from an emotional basis. So there's always little topics, tips and tricks, amazing Perfect. people that come into the interviews, and all of that is under the umbrella of the Loving Love After Loss podcast. Yeah. Perfect. You can also find that on my website. So go there. <laughs>
0: all right thank you so much marie for your time and i hope my viewers also found it very interesting and very helpful and i wish you all the best uh, you know in every project that you're working on and the the i see the work that you're working on to help people and i wish you all the best once again until we connect again see you and goodbye
1: thank you so much for having me Pallavi. thank you
0: Thank you for listening to this episode you can subscribe to my podcast from wherever you are listening hope you enjoyed and learned something from this episode and if you did would love if you take a screenshot of you listening to this podcast and tag me on instagram my handle is at the rate i i'll be dropping in the links below in the description do check that for more information until we meet again remember to live an energized lifestyle because that is the way to enjoy life fully Oh, oh,